0: Getting Split Ready. Getting Split Ready. ready. Getting Split Ready. For my wife,
1: God, rest her soul.
0: God, I'm so sorry. No, no,
1: no, she's not dead. We're just divorced.
0: Unscripted and honest discussions on divorce and separation.
1: Getting Split Ready. What was I supposed to tell him? I divorced you from the show? Here's
2: your hosts,
1: Doug Katz and Mariah Pleasant. Welcome to Getting Split Ready with Douglas Katz and Mariah Carey Pleasant. Uh, The next segment on our show is... Sponsored by See Dick and Jane Get Divorced. The paperwork and stress of a divorce can be overwhelming. Don't let your divorce take over your life. Get organized and take control with See Dick and Jane Get Divorced Organization Kit. Mention or fill in SR 2019 when you order your kit and get 10% off. Compliments of the Getting Split Ready podcast. <clears throat> Pardon me. And you can go to See DickAndJaneGetDivorced.com for more information about that great kit. Now, our next guest is Karen Khalil, a mental health professional and therapist with an expertise in depression. Her... She uses a, thre- a strength-focused approach, and her therapy is based in teamwork, where the client must collaboratively engage for the best outcome. Her practice focuses on reducing the symptoms of depression and anxiety by adjusting uh, or adjusting to a changing world and improving communication skills in order to enjoy a more healthy living and fulfilling relationships. She has training in EMDR, and she has been a Aikido practitioner. For the past 16 years. Uh, and Aikido is a Japanese martial art that has a has a root in conflict resolution, and she brings those principles to her therapy practice. So thanks for joining us, Karen.
0: Thanks, Doug
1: and Mariah. Uh,
0: I guess I have to update that one because it's been Aikido for 21 years. 21 years. Yeah, you do that. Yes. Wow. So I, I guess I have to go back and take a look at that.
1: No, let's talk a little bit about depression because I think anyone who deals with divorcing clients knows that. Depression kind of comes with it. But what's the difference between being sad and depressed? I know that question goes out a lot.
0: Yeah, that is an interesting and an excellent question. So, you know, sadness is a normal emotion that most people are going to experience and maybe you experience it on kind of a more daily basis. And it's something that kind of comes and goes with time. It's not something that kind of sticks with you. If you're sad because you lost a pet or you got in a fight with a friend, most of the time if it's not... Uh, you know a, a depressive sort of a state it's, it's something you kind of process through rather quickly and you kind of move on. Um, so depression has more to do with you have a traumatic event for example and let's say it's, it's the loss of a family member and you know you're going to go through the normal stages of grief and you're going to be sad about that but sometimes what happens is if you're not processing through it appropriately um, you can get stuck in that And then you start to notice different patterns of behavior that you're experiencing that are out of the ordinary for you. And, you know, if time goes on, I think after two weeks, you know, we can classify that as a major depressive episode.
2: That was my question, actually, was how do I know? Right. So if I'm going through a divorce, if I have, you know, the loss of a parent to go through those emotions, to go through those cycles of sadness and anger is normal. How do I know when I'm not Unquote, I know there is no normal, but you know, how do I know when I should worry?
0: Um, I think if you're noticing a prolonged pattern of behavior that's out of the ordinary for you, so you know, for example, some of the classic symptoms that we look at is you know eating, sleeping, um, you know, are you isolating, are you spending time with friends? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you able to get out of bed to get to work in the morning, or are you noticing now that you're hitting snooze, you know, 25 times before you can get out of bed? Are you performing your hygiene appropriately? Are you engaging in your regular activities? Are you noticing there's a lack of, of motivation that you're having? So, you know, the way, So if you're noticing a lot of that, you know, a lot of you know, and it's going on for a period of time, not like a day or two. Like I just can't get out of bed today. and I don't want to face it. Um, if you're noticing that it's gone on for a week, maybe two, then I think it's time to maybe I should talk to somebody just to see what's going on. Um, you know, two. Sometimes people kind of fall through the cracks, and it might not necessarily be a classic symptom that they're having, but they know something doesn't feel right and they know it hasn't felt right for a while. You know, then I would say you might want to just talk with somebody and see what they say about it because, you know, not everybody fits into the the mold of what is depressed, what isn't depressed. So I, I think if you're noticing it's not normal for you, I think that's what the red flag is.
1: Bringing our mediators and attorneys into the conversation, you see those warning signs. So how do you, when you see that, how do you get involved? I know so we're involved with the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois, there's mental health professionals, there's mediators, everybody's involved. How do you engage a client with that because it's a difficult subject?
3: Well, a lot of times we have a coach that's involved in that who is a mental health professional. So I have turned to them to be involved with that and to look for those signs and have that private conversation. And I would say that most of my clients already have a therapist that are coming into it and I'm very candid and would have that conversation with them because there is a really high level of trust I think as you know their attorney with that to say you really need help and you know we really can't move forward <laughs> with this until you are in a better position and really to have that conversation that I'm not your therapist
0: mm-hmm.
3: and that is better addressed with your therapist and even to sometimes to give those to say, this is what I think you need to speak with your therapist about and have them give some direction there.
4: Yeah. As, as she was sharing, frankly, what was going through in my mind in my 20s, I actually remember looking at a book. And it's like, oh, wow, I am clinically depressed. <laughs> because yeah, that's
1: I- actually one of the questions I had is, how do you not do the WebMD thing, right? Where you're like, oh, my God, I have Ebola and everything because I'm reading these,
4: <laughs> well, the, <laughs> these, these you know, but, but the symptoms thing, and I'm, you know. But, but, the, joys. but the, the, the the thing I remember distinctly is my own negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. Like I was just constantly, you know, nothing I did was good enough. And, uh, uh, you know, anyway, so I, I use that as the segue because one of the things I do with my clients is I encourage them to shift their language mm-hmm. away from oh this will never work out or oh, you know i have people oh sh- she's going to get everything anyway so why bother even like trying and it's like no so i'm so personally you know yes i'm going to rely on the mental health people because that's their area of expertise but in terms of my own demeanor i'm going to try to help them mm-hmm. speak Positively, I would say that too. Like, yeah. really, just to say, you know what, we're here together to work. Th- I mean, that's the whole point of
3: collaborative, is to say to get a really a fair and equitable, right? You know, agreement so that you're both in a better spot, and that's why you've come to really be positive,
0: right? Really. Well, I, I mean, I think there's probably some overlap, you know, because you know, yes, the negative self talk. We all have that OS that's running us constantly, and it's a lot of work to change that. So I, you know, I imagine when it's a divorce situation, you know, you've got to be, you know, oh, well, this is never going to happen or I'm never going to be happy again. Well, if you keep telling yourself that, probably that's true. Um, But this is the habit of a lifetime and your thoughts are habits. Mm -hmm. So if you think you're going to fix this overnight or in three weeks, it's not going to happen. I mean, this is something you have to become very consciously aware of and you really have to work for. So, you know, I think. Well, I think it's great to have the boundaries. I don't think there's anything wrong with maybe you know, a, you know, the attorney saying you might want to talk to your therapist about this. But I'm just going to kind of encourage you to look at this a little bit more positively, and and you know, because you never know what's going to happen, and that's a big one that I tell my clients all the time.
4: You don't know the future; we don't have that gift.
1: Right. Right.
4: Yeah, yeah I'd just like to interject or have you talk about. Um, I do think there is a distinction um, when someone. It ha- has been diagnosed mm-hmm. and if they are taking medication and I think that it would be good for you to kind of share your you know thoughts and about that and in in what sense well, just in terms of you know some people think that's a big stigma like oh my goodness, they don't want people to know about it and and how you know I see that as as a sign of someone who's brave to
0: Well, I agree. But, you know, people have to be ready to talk about these sorts of things. And I I really honor my clients if they don't want to talk to friends and family about what they're going through, if they don't want to say that they're in therapy, or if they don't want to tell people they're on meds. I, I honor that, you know, and I know that if they get comfortable enough, they will discuss that. But you know, until people are ready to go there, I, I I don't see the point really in pushing it. You know, but yeah, I mean, there is there's much less stigma than there was, but there's still a fair amount that we're soprano's kind of really helped
1: get rid of the stigma, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's
0: a whole new generation. Yeah. A whole new drug. generation.
1: They're okay with. <laughs> I got a question though for when when somebody is clinically depressed and then they move into a divorce and the the de- the depression isn't a result of the divorce. Is that privileged information or is that something that? that all the parties want to know during that process to kind of manage that. You see what I'm saying? We've been kind of talking about it being the offshoot of divorce. Well, I'm going through a divorce. Now I'm depressed. But if they've been previously diagnosed, that's an important thing going in because that could be them further, I'm guessing, and that could really have an impact.
3: Well, it depends on who, in what context we were told that. Was that told in like, in a four-way, was that told in one of our meetings? Was that told individually? So, but if to no one tells client,
2: you guys,
1: then you don't you don't know about it,
2: right? But so, what you said earlier, Trace, about the three categories of people, would it, there almost be a fourth category of couples when mental illness is really at play? Because that sort of that's sort of its own situation, right? If there's you know a narcissistic personality or even addictions that can change a lot of those energies, correct? Well, as
4: I as you know, you guys were my processing is, for example, if there is mental illness it's diagnosed and being treated and they're in litigation and they're all fighting, they're gonna use, that's gonna be just another pawn that somebody's gonna use to say, look, she's a bad parent or he's a bad parent. So that's one perspective. And I think Jill was referring to, you know, in a mediation, in a collaborative setting, we like to take a therapeutic approach. Like, okay, yes, this person may have an addiction or may be depressed, but how can we put in structures to help them move beyond it? So I do think it's, it's somewhat specific. Um, and I, I say it does relate to if, if one person wants out and the other one doesn't, it's going to be a tool. Versus they both are, yes, I mean, I have had cases where, you know, one person has mental illness, and the other person loves them, but is like, we just don't belong together anymore. And then there's an acceptance of it. And even the person who is being treated, you know, sees it as part of their journey. So I I think it does kind of depend. There can be
3: safeguards set up too for the mental illness set up by the other, you know, party to make sure that the children are safe or there's a safe word or there's addiction to say, you know, the children have the ultimate say if they're getting in the car with someone or something like that, that can be addressed in that situation.
1: I wanna actually you said something about the children. If we could shift to that. Children in depression, what are you what are you seeing? Is it is it on the rise or what are you seeing in your practice?
0: Well I don't really see kids too much in my practice. I mean it's I, I see you know, people that are pretty much 18 and over. But, um, I mean, with children, it's, you know, it's a little bit trickier um, to diagnose depression because it manifests very differently in children than it does in adults. And it often is mistaken for ADHD. Um, So, you know, in kids, they kind of get, you know, they'll start acting out. Um, in school, so they might not be able to sit still, they don't want to listen, um, they're not getting their homework done, things like that. Whereas adults, they kind of shut down, right? You know, you don't get up out of bed, you don't go to work, you're, you know, you're not as focused as you were before. Um, So with kids, you know, if, if there's some suspicion, if you notice, again, if you're noticing an abrupt change in a child's behavior, all of a sudden they're not performing the way they were. I think that's always cause for alarm. And I don't, it really doesn't matter what the diagnosis is at that point. But since we're kind of talking about depression, you know, there is testing that you can do where, you know, you know, the, the teachers will kind of note what's happening in school and then have the parents kind of note what's happening at home. And if you see a big discrepancy in the behaviors at home versus at school, that's usually depression. If you're noticing the same behavior in the you know at school and at home, it's it, then that's generally ADHD. So you know I don't want to say for sure I'm diagnosing anybody on the air, but um, y- you have to kind of look at a bunch of different factors you know in, in that regard.
2: I would imagine that's harder though when there's almost an innate change in behavior and patterns because of the divorce, there's a change in living, there's a change in routine, there's a change in caregiving. So you're imposing this change and then also looking for change. Is that hard to extricate like what's what and what's causing what?
0: Well, again, I think if you're just noticing abrupt behavior changes in a child like they're not eating as well they're not sleeping maybe they're developing phobias things like that these are things that you always want to look at okay Okay. those are always cause for alarm to me if somebody says my kid all of a sudden doesn't want to do this thing they always used to really enjoy it you know if it's coupled with something else you know then i'd say you might want to have them see somebody and, and just get checked out and make sure everything's okay because there's a lot of different things it could be
1: and when when it's somebody themselves when they're starting to feel that way, what's what's the recommendation you give in engaging with a with a therapist with a mental health professional? How do they find the right one and and come to terms with that?
0: Well, Doug, uh, we're going to have our own uh, our, our own podcast about that. Right. So, um, well, I mean, it's 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 a tough one to find. I, I think. You know, you really do have to build a rapport with your therapist. Um, and so it's it's, it's kind of difficult to say you're just looking at somebody's bio and, and does it sound like it resonates with you. Um, but what I would say is if you're seeking therapy, you know, feel free to say no if you're not jiving with that person because we're professionals. We understand that not every fit is the best one. And you know, you may see two or three people for two or three sessions and they don't work for you. And you know, maybe the fourth one works. but. You know, you, bottom line is you've got to find somebody who's making you comfortable. And I really think it's important that we start where the client is, that we respect their self-determination, and we're not pushing them too hard, too fast to do something they are not ready to do.
4: Good. I just would like to share an, something that kind of transitions like that with the divorce process, in that I have had cases where parents are off, right? They're not getting along. And then the children are kind of caught in the middle because again they don't they 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 typically have a stronger relationship with one parent or the other. You know, there's a whole thing now called parental alienation where one parent is claiming that the other is trying to separate them from the child. And I just want to point out that some courts will order, like in, I had a case where father and you know tween daughter would go to therapy together, like. And, and then it came, became a question of, well, who is the therapist? Well, mom wanted to choose the therapist that dad and the daughter would go to. So mm-hmm. I'm just pointing out that it can turn into a lot of activity and rigmarole. And then it was like, well, it should be a man. No, it should be a woman. It should be, you know, a Christian. It should be a, a Muslim, whatever. I'm just letting you know that there is an interface between the mental health world and the legal world mm-hmm. And it, it, it will be a function of the people's personalities. But I agree with you, like they you need to resonate with whoever your therapist is, because if you're gonna open up, if anything's gonna happen, you have to trust that person. Definitely.
1: If they want to get hold of you, what's the best way to get hold of you?
0: Um uh probably uh, my email address. Okay.
1: Do you wanna give it on the air uh, real quick?
0: It's K J K A L L I E L at gmail.com.
1: Fantastic. And we'll have all of the contact information for our guests. Uh on uh, the website as well as all the places we put the podcast
2: thanks and if you are thinking about divorce please visit splitready.com and take our free assessment you can come through your divorce with your finances your integrity and your sanity intact be informed ask questions and be split ready